The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We're looking at another hard story today. Last week we looked at Jesus' teaching on divorce, and we're just going through the Gospel of Mark verse by verse so that I can't avoid the topics that I would rather avoid. My favorite story last week was one of, um, I was telling the, uh, talking about marriage and what God's plan and design for marriage is. And one of the things I kept saying over and over and over again was, husbands, die to your wives. Die to your wives. Die to your wives. Sacrifice and die. And I heard of a married couple, this chapel family, this, this past week, the wife was, would tell her husband to do something. And then she would say, die to yourself. Die. To, and I think by the end of the week, she was just saying, die. Just pointing at die. I thought that was a good application of that sermon. And then Jesus doesn't really let up. He, he goes from that sermon of what the God's picture for marriage and commitment and unity is, and he jumps right into one of the hardest stories of the Bible. So I need you to all hold a hand with your fist closed like this. Hold a hand up and go like this. This is what we're doing today. Whatever you're holding on to, my prayer is that you're going to let go of it. And you're going to see what I mean in a minute here. Because we're going to jump into Mark chapter 10, verse 13. If you haven't scrolled there, if you haven't flipped there, it'll be up on the screen behind me. And we're going to talk about kids for a second. You'll be like, what does this have to do with, with the rich young ruler? Because that's the, the story that we're in. But it makes a lot of sense when you live in their culture. So here's the word of God for us. And they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom, belongs the kingdom of God. To children, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now before we go, this story is directly attached intentionally to the next story of the rich young ruler. This story is important because kids, as I've mentioned many, many times, at least my kids, bring nothing to the table. That's the cultural response to children here. The reason why the disciples were indignant, the reason why the disciples rebuked the kids, rather, was because children were seen more of as a nuisance. They didn't offer anything. They couldn't protect you. They couldn't pay for you. Now, times have changed a little bit, but not a ton. Like, the reason I had four kids is because I'm a pastor. And I, I wanted to play the odds. I figured that one of these kids will take care of me when I get old, okay? Right now, my money's on Jackson, unless, like, Silas becomes, like, a Chip and Joanna Gaines house builder situation. And then my fallback is that Savannah becomes a very successful UFC fighter. That's, like, my, like my go-to move in the end is she just thrashes people with her fists. In this culture, the reason why they were getting away is because kids didn't bring anything. Now, it's important Kids come to, to the kingdom of God with nothing in their hands. If your approach to coming to God and being right with him is bringing something, anything, bringing your offering, bringing your attendance, bringing your good behavior, bringing your shiny things around you, bringing your successful career, no matter what it is, if you're trying to bring something to impress God, Jesus says, that's not how this works. And, and Jesus comes after something that I think is very pertinent to all of us because he goes right into the next story. After telling him, like, you got to come to me like these kids. They don't bring me anything. They don't bring me offerings, perfume, nothing. And then he was setting out on his journey, and a man, who Luke calls the rich young ruler, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is why some of you are here today. 
Some of you are like, I, I want forever life, eternal life, the good life. Some of you don't care. You're here because someone else dragged you here. But this is the question that churches seek to answer. And this is the question that this man asked Jesus. He said, good teacher. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus was constantly putting his divinity aside. It says in Philippians, though he was God in the flesh, he did not account equality with God something to be grasped. He was constantly saying, don't, don't do that. It's not my time. Don't let the cat out of the bag. It's not my time. And here's what, the, here's what Jesus says to this guy. Now, I need you to take an inventory of your own life. Because this guy says, I want eternal life, Jesus. What do I do? And Jesus says in verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Okay, have you murdered somebody? If you have, raise your hand. Nobody? Okay. I was just doing that for like if someone's sitting near you. I feel like if you are a murderer, you should at least give the courtesy of someone having theater space between you and them. Do not steal. Anyone in here stolen? Raise your hand if you've stolen something. Raise your hand high if you've stolen. Be proud about that sin. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> all of a sudden, like all the ladies are like, purse is getting closer to my heart. <laughs> you might not be a murderer. Oh, I skipped one. Don't commit adultery. I'm not going to raise your hand here. Don't want to shame people in church. That's for other churches to do. He, he just starts going down the list. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Now, you might be like, okay. I've only stolen little things. I only adultered once. I haven't murdered yet. Then he goes, just DEFCON 5, don't lie. That's what, do not bear false witness. Any liars in the house? Don't bother raising your hand or not. Like, we've all lied. If you don't raise your hand, you're lying. But then something interesting, because he's talking to a rich young ruler. He says, after don't bear false witness, he says, do not defraud. This is what you have to do. Jesus is saying, here, you want to know how to get there? Don't, don't do all these things and don't defraud. Don't be shady in your business deals. There's this weird sentiment right now in our culture that like rich people must be guilty. Anyone ever feel that watching the news, listening to podcasts? Like you just look around and you're like, he's too rich to be innocent. And believe me, I feel you. Like Jeff Bezos literally lives in my office through Alexa. If I ask Alexa for something, it pops up on my phone that I might like to buy that thing. So yeah, like he might be a little shady. But not all rich people are shady. Actually, as a matter of fact, money in itself is not bad. Money is a neutral thing. But you will see what it does to this guy. And check this out. Jesus, after he says, do not defraud, he says, and honor your father and mother. That's, these are some big commandments and laws in God's word. And this is what this guy says. The chutzpah of this guy. He said to Jesus, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, at this point, if I'm Jesus, which I'm not, for very obvious reasons, I would be like, you're lying. And I'd snap my fingers and he would catch on fire. Like, that's what I'm doing if I'm the creator of the universe. But Jesus is not me and I am not him. He's shaping me into his image slowly. He doesn't say, you're lying, you're wrong. Stop messing around. He looks at him and loves him. And he says to him, Okay, you've done all that. You've, you've honored your mother and father still to this day. By the way, just Mother's Day, I need you to know, honor your mother and father isn't just for young people who are under 18. It's for all of us. It's for all of us to honor our mother and father. doesn't even mean you have to like them. That's a free bonus point for you. You don't have to like them, but you've got to honor them. Show them honor. And this 
This guy says, I've done it all. I've never defrauded. My business deals are on the up and up. I'm rich. I'm young, and I've done everything right. I don't lie to people. I've never stolen anything. I've never killed anybody. No adultery. And Jesus, because he, he loves him, and it says it right here, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He didn't love him like, oh, I'm so proud of you. You did so good. He loved him and wants him to have something. He wants him to let go of the one thing that he knows is keeping him from eternal life. He saw, Jesus saw what he was holding on to. And he says, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Let me read that one more time. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Verse 22, sad, one of the saddest verses, I think, in the Bible. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Great possessions. Jesus looked him in the eye, and he's looking you and me in the eye today. And, and I need you to understand, I'm preaching this sermon to myself. This is, I wrote it for myself. I preached it first service to myself. I'm preaching this service for myself. Jesus says, you lack one thing. If he loves you, he's going to come after the one thing in your life that you're leaning on that's not him. And in this culture, we are so impossibly rich, it's hard to even see. It's hard to even see how wealthy we are. And Jesus, verse 23, looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Because back then, wealth was a sign that you were being blessed by God, that you had made it, that you had God's favor. And this was a young, wealthy guy. In my mind, he's attractive, because those are the people I like least in life. Young, attractive, wealthy. I see him, and I'm like, you sicken me. I'm like, I'm like average, average, below average. How difficult it will be. And the disciples were amazed and Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And they said, Then who can be saved? If the rich, young, attractive guy can't be saved, that doesn't break any commandments, who can be saved? Jesus says, it's, I tell you, it's, with man it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. First off, I despise what some scholars have done with this phrase, like a camel through the eye of a needle. That's how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Commentators have tried to soften that verse. Well, you see, Jesus didn't mean an actual camel in an eye of a needle. He meant like there's this part of the wall that was this little opening, right? And a camel could technically fit in if you put it on the keto diet, greased it up, and boot it through. Just hold your breath now. It popped out. Then the camel. No. And some commentators are like, well, you know, in Aramaic, the word for twine is similar to the word for camel. So maybe if you just get the twine, you do like what the seamstresses do, like you lick it and you like just, we can get it in. It's no. Jesus is literally saying, it's impossible. He tells us in the next verse, it's impossible to do this without God. Wealthy people, it's impossible. And I'm giving you a big news flash. We are all insanely wealthy in this room. Like, well, you don't know, Pastor. You don't know my situation. I'll tell you my situation. I'm not fishhawk rich, but I'm like Riverview okay. Okay, that's where I'm at financially. Okay? That's me. Just boom, right there. Um, I started wearing shoes this week. Everyone can clap. Yay. Yay. 
Yeah, I'm not going to show you how swollen my foot is right now. It's filling it out quite nicely. Um, I literally put on this shirt, and I'm supposed to be wearing high tops. I only got one pair of high tops, and they're maroon. But I wanted to wear this purple flower shirt because purple is my favorite color. And I got my shoes on. I'm like, they don't match. I have shoes that I wear to match things. Like, I want to choose that match a shirt. I have belts that match different pants. I have multiple pairs of pants, you guys. Here's a shocker. I've got so many socks, I could wear different socks probably every day of the month and never repeat my socks. Now, you're thinking, that's what Riverview OK is like? You need to hear me. We're all impossibly wealthy. The reason I know this is because some of the biggest problems we have on date nights, those of you who are couples here, is where are we going to go to eat? Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. What are you in the mood for? I don't know. What are you in the mood for? And my wife will say, just give me three options. And I'll be like, here's three options. Bop, bop, bop. And she'll be like, give me three more. No. I'm like, give, give me a genre. American, sushi. Literally, I'm so wealthy, I decide, what do I want to pay for today? If I go Mexican food and I pay for that whole process, I'm literally paying services of someone that grew the corn for the tortillas, picked the spicy peppers in this country, paying the, the FedEx people that shipped them over to Tampa, paying the person who fried up the refried beans, the people who bring it out to the server. Like, that's how rich I am. And I'm just Riverview okay. I've got multiple shoes, multiple jeans, multiple shirts. I have a car that not only... Do I, I pay for this vehicle that can keep rain from me. I, I have this vehicle that protects me from the onslaught of devilish love bugs. And not only is it a vehicle that can get me across the bay, I went four times back and forth to St. Pete in the last 24 hours, 36 hours. It protects me from the love bugs, and, and it blows cold air on me. You guys, not 150 years ago, you were behind someone else's horse and buggy getting farted on by their horse. <laughs> Like, that's how rich we are. We, we think of which schools our kids want to go, well, I don't like this school district, so I'm going to go to this school where the wealth that my country and community has amassed can pay for multiple schools. And when I don't like a teacher, I can go to another teacher because I'm in the PTA. Like, my kids play sports. We spend more on sports here, then like people will see in 10 years of their life. Like, well, you don't understand, Pastor Ryan. We're still not rich. Okay. You might not be Davis Island rich, but you don't even have to be rich to have money be the thing that's gripped you. See, this, the reason I, I look at that verse 22 and it said the man went away disheartened is because there's there's another place in the Bible where that exact word is used. It's not just sad. It's like broken sad. Disheartened. His heart was taken from him because Jesus knew exactly what it was that was keeping him from connecting with eternal life, connecting with God. And Jesus says, look, I love you, which is why I want this to be let go of. And the guy said, I can't let go of it. He lost his heart because he knew that his heart belonged to his possessions, his stuff. And just because you don't have stuff doesn't mean that your heart isn't taken by it. Because culturally, it's this way. Jesus, for every one time he talks about sex and relationships, he talks about money ten times in the Bible. And I'm not that pastor. I'm not going to be here like diamond cuff linking it up one day, being like, we need your money for the poor, for the poor Tesla repairs. No. 
Like, if you donate a million dollars today, I'll be driving the exact same Jetta tomorrow. I might get my tint repaired and get a car wash. Other than that, same thing. We're not going to ask for money and then pour it into some. This is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I want to find the thing that, if you, that you're living for. This man was living for his possessions. It, it was his identity, his worth, his sense of security and importance was wrapped up in his possessions. And he said, sell it all. And just be Joe Schmo, nothing. But it's interesting because he says, verse 29, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or, or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, the good news. There's no one who's left things who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time of houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus says, no, whatever you're giving up, you get way more in my family. Like right now you think that the chapel, that God's like, this is, this is where we are. I have this building for the chapel family. That's not the case. God has every one of our houses, they're his. And he's like, look at this chapel family. We've got so many houses. We've got so much food. We've got so many cars and vehicles. We've got so much medical care that's taken care of. I mean, I was thinking about how rich I was all week. Think about this. I'm so rich that when I get surgery, someone sends a piece of paper somewhere, and some organization pays for my surgery because I pay them a little bit of money. They pay a big bit of money. And God's like, yeah, I've, I've got all these resources, all these homes. So when we're selfish and greedy, when we're like, I'm sorry, you can't come into my home, I'm like, that's, that's not even your home, bro. That's Jesus' home. I'm not paying off my mortgage. I'm paying off Jesus' mortgage on my house. For whatever reason, he wanted me to live there. He wanted you to live where you live. He wanted you to rent where you rent to love the neighbors that are your neighbors right now. Well, you might look at somebody's car in the parking lot and be like, well, they're not being very good with Jesus' money. They could have got a Honda Accord, but instead they got the Beamer 5 Series. Worry about your own money and your own stuff. Because money is not evil in itself, but it's when you hold on to it and say, if I lose this, I lose myself. The other place where that word disheartened comes in is when Jesus is about to die. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating blood. He's broken down. He's being abandoned by his friends. And it said the exact same word. Jesus was disheartened because for all of eternity past, he was one with the Father and the Spirit in a perfect relationship of community and love and sacrifice and serving one another. And for the first time in the existence of the Son of God, he was about to be cut off from the Father for you and for me. He was about to lose the thing that gave him his identity, connection, worth, value, security. He was about to lose the thing that mattered most to him. And for Jesus, it was the Father's love. For one moment, he was going to lose it so that we could have it forever. And that's why Jesus was disheartened. What is the thing in your life that you have put where only God belongs? How do you identify it? How do you get rid of it? It might be, like I see so often, people have this sense of spiritual poverty. You just feel like, I don't have enough. And the, the weird thing is that we try to solve these spiritual internal problems with external things. You feel spiritually bankrupt and broke, so you go and you try to get wealth in all these things around you. I do it. I'm talking to myself. Let me illustrate plain as day. How many of you, when you're having a bad day, you buy something, you feel better? You don't have to raise your hand. Just think about it. Like, it used used to be me externally, like, I used to love shopping. Like, I loved it. I'd love to go to Nordstrom, get a sh shirt on. I quit that shopping stuff because I wanted to pretend to be holier because as pastors, we have to hide our sins so you can't see them. So now my shopping addiction is Amazon. 
Literally, I have over seven tripods at my house for cameras. Okay, little tripods in my bag. I got medium little tripods, big tripods, video tripods, camera tripods, still tripods, light tripods, heavy tripods. I just have a bad day, and I'm like, on Amazon, like, I just need something to make me feel better, and I'll buy it. I won't even see it for two days, maybe a day, because I'm literally that rich. I buy something, and someone else brings it to my house by carton buggy a day later. And I buy it, and I'm like, I just feel better. Maybe you're not me. Maybe you're the other me, the me that says, like, having a bad day. Nothing helps like a pint of Talenti sea salt and caramel ice cream or the Caribbean coconut. Those are my two jams, sorbet at Publix. Try it if you haven't. You'll love it. Your life has changed. You're welcome. But literally, I'll be eating this ice cream. I'll be like, I'm having a bad day, and I'll be eating it or tacos, whatever it is. I'm like, I feel better now. Like, oh, we say, my spirits are lifted now. That's what I feel better means. We're literally turning to a taco to do what the creator of the universe is meant to do. Like, do I want the God of all things who loves me with eternal forever love and never sees sin in me because Jesus' death on the cross? This guy will be mine forever. Or taco bus. And nine times out of ten, I'm like, nom, nom, nom. Taco bus. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. What is the thing? Because it might not be the wealth thing. Now, I'm going to talk about wealth because that's the text we're in, but I want you to just see it through a different lens. For you, it might be that you feel spiritually ugly. Like, you feel ugly on the inside. Like, nobody likes you. Nobody thinks of you as someone that's attractive and beautiful internally, so you try to mask it with externalities. That's why we, like, got to get in shape. Right now is, like, the time, right? Like, we got to, summertime is coming in. In Florida, it's even more pressure, more pressure. Like, we got to get your beach bodies, or get in shape. I've been telling my wife because I've had this busted wheel for so long. She's like, oh, are you going like, to try to get in shape? I'm like, I'm in a shape. Just because it's not the shape you like doesn't mean it's not a shape. It's just a shape that I currently prefer with my current mobility. Okay? It's my shape. Don't judge me. But then I feel all bad and I weigh myself. Why? Because I have this sense of like I want to look better, feel better. Now here's the thing. All these are neutral things. In Christianity, we know, like, say sorry to God. Repent of the bad things. Murder, lie, thieving. Repent of those. No, no, no. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to have eternal life, you've got to repent of the way you've taken the good things and you've made them ultimate things. Money's not good or bad, but we have this tendency. It creeps in. I just, I trust it. This is what will save me. Our looks are not good or bad. Health is not good or bad. But it's this thing where, like, yeah, I trust in this. If I look good on the outside, then maybe... People will accept what I am on the inside. And it's just never the case. It's the reason why famous people and celebrities, time after time, they get to the top of looks, of money, of power, and they keep on going. You know, they asked Rockefeller, how much, how much money can one man possibly need? And his famous answer was, just one more dollar. Just one more ab. Just one more bit of knowledge. Just one more promotion. Just one more raise. Just one more accolade. Whatever it is that if God took it from you, would dishearten you, and you say, I can't, God, I can't give that up. That's exactly what Jesus is coming for in your life because he loves you. It's hard. If you want to figure out how to do this practically, how to give up, how to let go of the things, and, if, and I'm using money because it's the text today. Not after your money. Just, it's the text. We're not going to avoid what God talks about. Think of it like this. You, you, you've got three components you have to change. Like, think of a plant. You've got roots. That's like your trusting beliefs, like what you, what you trust in with all your heart. The stem of a plant is your attitudes, and the leaves are your actions. Your whole plant needs to be transplanted out of there. That's what the heart change is. You need new 
beliefs of what you trust in, no longer money, no longer your, your looks, no longer your accolades, to be accepted, now you trust in Christ. You're accepted because Jesus died on the cross for you, because he was disheartened so you could be forever heartened. And when you change what you trust in, your attitudes change. Let me give you an example. If you want to know if money is one of your things that you cling on to, think of this. Do you only hang out with people who are your socioeconomic status and higher? Like, okay, let's say you're a phase two fish hawker. Do you only hang out with phase two and up people? Or are you like, will, are you down to go to the carny bar in Gibtown and hang out? I'm serious. Some of you are like, I would never set foot in there. Literally, I took my wife there once. She got bit by something. Her foot swole up. So be careful when you do. But is that your thought process? Are you drawn to be near people who are only wealthier than you? Are you okay? Does it not matter to you because you just love people? Because if you're saved by bringing God nothing, guess what you can love? Everyone with nothing. Guess who is able to have nothing? Everyone. Rich people can give it all up. You know, this is Damon and Sharon's last Sunday. He's been saying, we're going to do this mission thing. And I was thinking about you all week because you, you say, I gave you the idea to use this in your messaging. I said, hey, tell people I'm going to sell everything I have. But then I thought about it. I was like, you're not selling everything you have. No, no, you're not. And here's what happens. Here's how you can know if you're still prideful about money. Because Damon is selling his house, moving to Tennessee, abandoning those who love him most and hurting us down to the core of our heart. Sorry, that's personal. I didn't mean that. Lord, forgive me, I apologize. And um, he's leaving us. He's abandoning us. And here's the tendency. Here's how you can know if money is still a thing for Damon. If he, if he thinks for a moment in his heart, yeah, I'm doing this. Why can't other people? If he's prideful about it and looks at someone else driving a BMW or keeping their big house or whatever it is, and he says, I'm doing this, and they're still living here. They're all comfortable for Jesus. He's still being controlled by money, even though he's selling things. That's how tricky money is. That's how sneaky finances are. When you're broke, you may think, you know, I read the story of the rich young ruler, and I don't like rich people. I hope they all go to hell. I know some people feel that way, honestly. Some people don't like rich people. I don't know why. I mean, as a pastor, I'm constantly, like, just begging everybody, like, hey, if you got money, any money, we do, people need it for Jesus. But the people who are going paycheck by paycheck, if you have anxiety over money constantly, if you're worrying about money constantly, money is your master. You think that money will solve your problems. And you're like, well, I don't worry about it like other people. Jesus isn't asking us to play compare ourselves. We're not comparing Kathy's, okay, okay? We are before God. Some of you would love to have no anxiety. Now, here, I can't relate super well because I'm terrible, terrible about worrying about money in certain ways. Right? Money's my master in some ways. Like, I'm a shopaholic. But, like, my wife will be like, oh, we're not going to be able to pay off our credit card because we, we buy things on a credit card to get travel points. And we pay it off every month. We try. And my wife will be just freaking out, like, oh, my gosh, we're so far over. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Well, you got to stop spending money. Like, as I'm swiping a buy now with one click on my phone, really? Because this tripod looks really good. Like, I need another tripod. But we all do it. It sneaks in. And here's what we have to repent of, not just the bad things, but the good things. We have to repent of the religious things. God doesn't want a particular percentage from you. Now, you may have gone to churches that tell you God wants you to give 10%. That is a lie. And I've been criticized 
by other pastors for this. Other pastors have said, you know, the reason, like, you're struggling is because, you know, you just got to, like, tell people. If they give, then God will bless them financially. I'm like, that's a lie. I've never read that. It doesn't say that for everybody. Sometimes people give and they die, okay? And they say, well, at least, you know, the biblically it's 10%. Actually, I did the math. If you take all the Old Testament principles on giving, it's somewhere in the mid-20 to high 20%. But Jesus doesn't care, and I don't care about any of that either. When Jesus sees this guy, he says, I want you to give. 100%. Go from the top to the bottom. Go from having the ability to eat at any restaurant to the ability to eat at no restaurant. Go from Ruth's Chris to not even McDonald's. And then it's really interesting because in Luke, this story is followed by Zacchaeus, where Jesus doesn't say 100% or 10%. He says, Zacchaeus, give 50%. So if you're a religious person, you're like, Pastor, I'm so confused. What do I give, 10, 150? I'm like, yeah, yeah, give 10, 150. <laughs> Go to God and say, God, you've given me so much, and I trust that no matter what I let go of, what I get when I grab onto you is more. And I will believe that when it's hard and when it hurts. Because God may be asking some of you to give up more. Like, like selling your house. Big whoop, man. Selling your house, but you're raising support. Because we are like in a Western Christian church. The only support that some people got in this was a sack with bread. So you guys, we're going to raise some support for Damon today. We're going to give him a sack with bread. Send him out. You want to be like Jesus? You take this bread. You put some hot sauce on it. You go for hurting my heart. No bread, because you're ketosis. You take this avocado and go for hurting my heart. Get out of here. <laughs> what is the thing that you're holding on to that you're scared to let go of? Because if you let go of it, and here's the thing, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Some of you are holding on to your family, your reputation, your job, money, whatever. It is. It's terrifying. But you've got to change the thing that you trust in, the roots, so that your attitudes begin to change and so that your actions change. And you don't do it all, don't be like, well, I'm going to work for three years on my roots and I'm going to change my beliefs. Just change the whole stupid plant at one time. If you got bum actions, get better actions. Help feed the poor. Like, we have Fifth Sunday. It comes up once every quarter. And I, I know people are like, well, I, I can't take my kids. Your kids are going to see the poor eventually. Do you want them to love the poor like Jesus loved them? Then you love the poor like Jesus loved them. And I'm talking to myself because every time a fifth Sunday comes up, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't go. I've only got one leg. And God's like, I left you one leg. I had someone buy you a peg leg. What do you mean you can't go? Like literally someone gave me a scooter, gave me a peg leg, insurance paid for crutches and my sweet boot. And I'm making excuses to God. Oh, God, it's so hard. And God's like, I still gave you a heart. You have no heart left? Going to whine about your gimpy? Are we going to whine about the safety of our kids? Our kids need to see Jesus in us. And it, your actions and your attitudes and your trust, your beliefs, change them all. And sometimes it'll be hard. Sometimes your attitudes will still be there. You'll look down on someone for being lesser than you. You'll you'll scorn someone with jealousy because they've got more than you. They have what you want, and so you're jealous at them. That's money controlling you. There's a way to be free of it. So say, God, what do you want me to do with it? And it's not going to always be comfortable. This guy had great possessions. Jesus might be like, I want you to sell it all. Jesus might be, I want you to get rid of Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime. Some of you are like, get rid of free two-day shipping? The Lord would never. <laughs> Some of you, Jesus might say, I want you to just keep giving what you're given. 
10%, 15%, whatever. I want you to keep giving that, but I want you to press into this career because I want you to do something for me there. You have to learn to listen. And it, it can be so hard because our world is so loud. But what Jesus will never do is just constantly feed that one thing that's replacing him in your life. Jesus doesn't look at you and say, I love you, now worship this thing that's not me. If there's something else sitting on his throne, he's going to come right after it and say, you got to get rid of it. And he's going to be extreme. I pray that you would be willing to hear so that your beliefs will change your attitudes, will change your actions. So that we'll be a church that's known to give to the poor. If you didn't bring Publix gift cards today, um, for crying out loud, bring them next week. Because we're out of blessing bags. Black bags that we have for you to take and bless people who are going through hard times. If you haven't fostered somebody lately, like I, I just break in my heart. Like I keep seeing all these fostering things. And we are, like as far as fostering churches go, we are a very high level fostering church. But it's still, like of the, I don't know how many families we got going here, we got like five foster families. But there's well, a lot more than five kids. There's kids sleeping in offices. I don't care how you do it. I don't care what God tells you to do. Just take your cash and just throw it at foster families if you see them. Just be like, you look like you're tired. Throw a Starbucks at them. We have people in these retirement communities in Florida, their children have shipped them down here and just left them there. And I've talked to some of these uh, widows and widowers, and they're just abandoned. They're so sad. And, and they're being cared for of a sorts with financial money, but their, their heart's not being cared for. And you go in there and ask someone to tell you a story, to you get like the anthology of notebook movies. I had this one friend at one of these reti retirement communities I used to go to a lot, and she'd tell me the same story like every week. And I was just like, God bless this lady. Now, I wasn't there to hear her story like the 12th time. I was there because God says, love the poor, the widows, and the orphans. Love the church family. Pour into those who are here. Whatever God is asking you to let go of, you can pray about it and be super spiritual, or you can say, I've been holding on to this for too long. And here's the thing. When you're holding on to something, you can't grab on to Jesus because your hands are already full. That's all this sermon is. God, pry this from my fingers so that I can be free, so that my anxiety flows away with it, trusting that you are all I need because you're all that I have. You are enough. Let's pray. Lord, I pray um, just for myself right now, God, that whatever it takes in my life, whatever you have to strip from me, money, job, status, cars, anything, Lord, whatever, of all the things you've given me, God, time, health, whatever it takes for me to love you more and to trust you more, please take those things from me. Lord, I don't, I don't want to presume to pray that for everyone else here but I pray that that would become their prayer. And Lord, that's not a holy prayer. That's just a prayer of I want to bring nothing because you've given me everything. And may you today, God, may you enter into our lives because you love us and point out the things that we are holding on to so desperately, pointing out the areas of pride and self-reliance, pointing out the areas where we think we have it all together so that we can finally change and realize that we don't have it. We offer nothing, but you give us everything all the time and in every way. Jesus, I guess that's my prayer for this family. Love, love this chapel family like you love this rich young ruler. Love them enough to point out the, the small G gods that we're holding on to. 
in Jesus' name, amen.